Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at kind of the second section of James chapter 2 today. Now as we continue in uh, the book of James, my prayer for us, church family, is that this would cause us to grow in authenticity about who we are. But the only way that that happens is if what we hear becomes what we do. And I am no stranger to the reality that oftentimes it's a lot easier to say or to hear or to read, than it is to live out. And so as we step into this section of James today, I want to emphasize something. I want to emphasize this reality that when we come to faith in Christ, it is not that we all of a sudden gain the ability to do these things perfectly in an instant. Trust me, I wish that was the case. Rather, This is intended to be a journey that we walk together as the church with our eyes fixed on the one who is the example of who we are to become. But it takes us committing to the long haul for that to happen. And too often we convince ourselves that we are up for a sprint when really we need to train for a marathon. And after we start the marathon, we realize really quickly how tired I get. And my yearning would be that authentically we would be becoming like Christ. Now, as we've walked through this, we have seen multiple exhortations And now we come to this section of James chapter 2 verse 14 through the end of chapter 2 that emphasizes something beyond just an exhortation to more of a reality we need to wrestle with. And so I want to read this whole section, chapter 14 through chapter 26. And I want you to follow along. Make sure your eyes are on Scripture. And then we're going to pray and ask that the Lord would open our eyes to what this should look like as prayerfully, faith becomes who we are, not just what we say. James 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, 
And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from your works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? (coughs) For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. (coughs) My throat. We're going to pause a minute and we're going to reflect on this and pray while I get this out of my throat. Father, your word is not always easy, but it is true. As we step into this time, open our eyes that we would see, but not that we would just see, but that it would impact who we are, who we're becoming, and what we do. All of this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you guys are going to need to pray for me. My goodness. I have no idea where that came from. We're going to trust the Lord, though. When we come to this text, the reality is, this text is probably one of the most challenging passages in the book of James. And the reason is because it goes against the grain of so much of what we say. But I want to actually reference back to something that we may not realize as we go through James. And that is the frequent use of the word brother. Adelphos would be the literal word. And in fact, when we first started James, you'll remember that uh, we emphasized his writing of this to the church. To those in the twelve tribes in the dispersion, as chapter 1 says. People who at minimum said, I 
state that I too follow the living God. And so then from that point forward, all of a sudden, we see the word brothers used 19 different times in these short five chapters. It's not that hard to realize, okay, this is who he's communicating to. And this is important. Because it's the followers of Christ who can count it all joy when they face trials of many kinds. The world does not have reason to do that. It is the follower of Christ who should not just hear the word, but do what it says. As he exhorts earlier in his letter. It's the follower of Christ who should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, understanding the great gift that's been given them through Jesus. It's the follower of Christ who should show no partiality when they consider the great mercy that has been shown to them by God. And so when we come to this text in James chapter 2, We need not break from that and say that he's writing to anyone else other than those same brothers and sisters he was exhorting in the previous text. Generally speaking, we don't struggle with any of these previous exhortations. And then we get to verse 14 in chapter 2 and we go, whoa, wait a minute. Hold the phone. So I pose this question for you as a main thought point for today. Of what use is faith without action? Of what use is faith without action? Now, for the Western believer, we are often really quick to respond to this. Faith is that which is the substance of how I am saved. We affirm this as a church body. We affirm that statement. And we affirm it because this is what Scripture says. And I want to give you several. Ephesians 2, right? Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Galatians 2. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, 
Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Praise God for that. Amen. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by what? Faith. Everyone say faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we recognize this. This this is biblical. You are saved by faith. It is God's grace that saves us. Grace given to us in Jesus Christ. And it is faith in His atoning work that brings about salvation. Amen? And then we come to James 2. And it says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? What good is it? And the question I mean, of what use is faith without action? Going back to the beginning. And we see these two correlations in the book of James. Faith without works is what? Dead. And faith apart from works is what? Useless. So which is it? This is the great quandary when we come to this. And we're not the first people to have this quandary. In fact, theologians over decades and centuries have wrestled with these realities. And yet it comes back to it being really important that James too is writing to brothers and sisters. Those he believes to say and affirm, I have faith in the living God. But is one justified by faith? Or by works. Now this is where our English language can be very frustrating at times. But if you stop and you ponder this just a little bit, it makes a lot of sense. Can there be different types of justification that scripture speaks of? I believe that there is, in fact. A difference between our justification before God and our justification on earth for that which we profess to have faith in. An illustration that came to mind when I'm thinking about this was marketing. Marketing has a really great way of making claims to sell you on their products. And a wise way that a person may encounter one of these ads that you may hear or see were they be to talk about a person or a product would be to ask the salesman to justify his claims. Right? You say this is what it can do. Now, one of my favorite unjustified claims is consistently the drink Red Bull. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about already. Exactly. Red Bull, if you listen to any of their commercials, it gives you, in fact, what? Wings. Now, I don't know about any of you, but if you were to challenge them to justify this claim, you would find out, uh, actually, that is just a word picture, right? 
that in fact if you drink a Red Bull, you will not in fact sprout wings, but instead will be motivated by an instant sugar high, later to be followed by a horrid crash. Marketing claim, unjustified. You see, justify in Scripture can be to render a favorable verdict or to demonstrate to be morally right or prove to be right. Both are true. And this is where this comes full picture in the scope that asking the question, what is this really speaking of? And this, in essence, summarizes this. Our works are a visible representation of our faith. What we do is a visible representation of what my eyes are fixed on. Verse 15, it says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, this is in no way saying that if you go out and you see a brother and sister in need and you feed them and you clothe them, that somehow that earns you your salvation. That's not what this is saying. Why? Because salvation is in faith alone. It's by faith alone that I'm saved and I am in right relationship with the Father. But what happens? What happens when I walk and live in true faith? What happens when I fix my eyes on Jesus and I realize that there is no turning back? Who do I become? Our works are a visible representation of our faith. Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with His works and faith was completed by His works. See the ongoing emphasis of faith here. And in context, it's using this illustration. An illustration of two specific people, which I want to look at and, and understand why are these two given. See, verse 18, it says that someone will say to you, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. Understand what the focus is here. Faith. Everyone say faith. The emphasis is here is show me you have faith without doing anything. Can you do that? I can say I have faith. How do I justify that claim? What does it look like to justify what I'm saying that I am? You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? It's of no use. <clears throat> Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. <clears throat> this is where I want you to put your finger in James 2 and go back to Genesis chapter 22. <clears throat> Hello, Genesis, our old friend. <clears throat> Genesis 22. 
Genesis 22. Now, if, if you recall, as we were going through our Genesis series, and we come to this section of Scripture, um, this is a really commonly taught narrative in Genesis, but it's not often thought about in relation to James, <clears throat> until we come to James, of which it's great benefit for us. Genesis 22. Let's set the stage a little bit. God has just told Abraham to sacrifice his only son by Sarah, Isaac. Now, if that wasn't startling enough, the reality that made this additionally startling is it's previously here that God has told Abraham that he will in fact fulfill his promises to Abraham through Isaac. <clears throat> so you can see the dilemma. Well, God, you said that Isaac was going to be the one by which these promises are fulfilled. Yes, I'm telling you now that you're going to sacrifice your son on an altar. <clears throat> so Abraham and Isaac get up early. They start hiking up the mountain. They get to a certain point. Abraham tells the servants who've come with them to stay where they're at. And in that moment, he actually says, we will return to you. As they're going up, one of the most intriguing dialogues is in verse 7, when Isaac says to his father, My father, <clears throat> behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? And Abraham simply said in verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. <clears throat> they get there, they set up the altar. I often wonder what it looked like to actually get Isaac on the altar. I don't know. All I know is Abraham is significantly older than Isaac. And yet we see this unfold. And Abraham in action goes to the point. In verse 10, he reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything. For now I know. That you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And then there's a ram in the thicket. And in verse 14, Abraham calls the name of the place the Lord will provide. <clears throat> One of the great questions that comes in the midst of this in verse 12 is, what does it mean? Now I know that you fear God. And what's interesting about that is when we look at the character of God, it's fairly easy for us to delineate that God already knew. So why would this be here? Because if there was any doubt for Isaac or for others who would come behind and see this example of unfathomable faith. That Hebrews even paints the picture that Abraham believed that God would even raise Isaac from the dead. Because his faith was so rooted in the promises of God that God would fulfill exactly what he had promised to do that he walked in unadulterated obedience to God's commands. 
because he knew that the only means of God's redemptive plan coming to fruition was through God himself. And it's lived out in what he does. What's really interesting about this is it's in chapter 15. Before Isaac is ever born, that scripture records that Abraham believed and God counted it to him as righteousness. Which is the example that's used that salvation is by faith. That God is the only one who can count us as righteous before himself. And he allows that opportunity in Christ. And yet, this statement, now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. The question I have for us an application from this, what is it that stands in the way of my unfaltered obedience to the living God? What is it that stands in the way that if this comes up, it takes priority over anything and everything that God is telling or asking me to do? What is it? I tend to believe that every one of us in some way or another struggles with something that stands in the way. That keeps us from walking and living out what God has called of us. Now flip over briefly to Joshua chapter 2. We see the example of not only Abraham but Rahab. A most unexpected individual. And one of the aspects that I love about scripture is the fact of how God uses the most broken people to bring about his redemptive purposes. Joshua chapter 2. Now to give some background. Many people could tell you the story of Joshua and the walls of Jericho. Fewer people would be able to tell you the narrative of Rahab and the spies. And what happens is Joshua sends two men to spy out the land and see what they're up against. <clears throat> and these two men come to lodge at Rahab's house. And Rahab is a prostitute. Now it's told to the king in Jericho that these Israelite men have come and are staying in Rahab's house. And so the guards come and they knock on the door and she is hidden, the spies. And one would have good reason to question and ask, how is it that Rahab, this prostitute, goes to such lengths and endangers herself and her own family for these two random strangers from Israel? How is it? Look at verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, listen to this testimony, church family. I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. 
for the Lord your God. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab had faith. Her faith was rooted in the God of the heavens above and the earth beneath. How could the spies be reassured of this Jericho living prostitute that she had faith? It was revealed in what she did. It wasn't what she did that then justifies her ultimately before God because her testimony reveals who she already sees God to be. But who she sees God to be is then fleshed out in how she lives. Do you see, church family, the correlation between the two? Of what use is faith without works? It is dead. It is useless in the same way. That if Rahab had professed faith, but there was no action, one would have to question what faith is there. I am often struck and concerned as I converse with various groups of people in our modern culture today. What they are most concerned with often reveals what their faith is truly in. Who they are behind the scenes is often a greater indication of their true confession. Did you know that 63% of our country would call themselves Christians as of 2021? 63%. 80 to 90% of our country would say they believe in God. And yet, what did James chapter 2 say? You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. So we're left with a moment of question to say, in light of these truths, what is the diagnosis? And here's the reality, church family. If I claim to have faith in Christ, and yet who I am is not one who comes back to a place of walking in obedience to what God has said, then there are two possibilities. Number one, that there a lack of biblical works in my life may reveal an unrepentant, unbelieving heart. That I know all the right things, but... Like earlier, I am a hearer, but I'm not a doer, and therefore may need to call into question, do I truly understand who God is and what He's called me to? Do I, do I really understand what Jesus did on my behalf? The second one is that a lack of biblical works in my life may reveal a very immature faith and that I am not yet who God has called me to be. I have not arrived. And if there is no fruit in my life, I have definitely not arrived. What's interesting is if we go back to those passages at the beginning, because notoriously people encounter this and they say, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. 
I'm justified by faith. I'm saved by grace through faith. Faith is the root of this. And I want to read you some other scripture passages as we prepare prepare to close this time as we think about this. Matthew chapter 5 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see what? Your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The very end of Ephesians chapter 2. We skip this one a lot of times. We are His workmanship. Talking to the church. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Titus chapter 2, if you want a, a, a primer on the place of works in the Christian faith, read, the, read, read Titus as a whole. There's so much in there. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are what? Zealous for good works. Titus 3.8, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Church family, we have such a profound responsibility not to just profess what we believe, but to live it out. We should not work hard. Let me clarify and make sure you get this. We should not work hard and say, see, my work has saved me before a holy God. Because Matthew 7 actually reveals that that's not possible. That there will be people in the end who say to God, look at what I did. Look at these works I did in your name. And he will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Instead, as we reflect upon the awesome grace of God revealed to us in Christ, we're motivated to pursue nothing else but His glory and majesty. Then, when someone asks, why are you the way that you are? You almost laugh in response. If you only knew what I deserve, and yet what I have received in Christ... If you only knew, then what I would do would seem but nothing in comparison. If you were to ask Abraham or Rahab, why did you do what you did? They would no doubt respond, because I believe that the God of the heavens will fulfill his promises. Therefore, regardless of how strange or inconvenient walking in obedience may seem, I will nonetheless do it because my salvation is in no one else. 
Church family, may we recognize the great gift we have been given in Jesus. And may we be able to stand and affirm, I will serve Him to the end of my days because my salvation is in no one else. May that be our prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And as they do, they're actually going to play a newer song because I think we just need to pause and reflect on this, church family. We need to reflect on what is the thing that's hindering me from walking in obedience to God's commands. And so as they sing this, I want you to listen, but I want you to just reflect. And I want you to discern what is God calling you to right now? And what does it look like? And I want you to know, I don't want you to try and figure all this out on your own. This is why we live in community with each other. Let's, Let's work together towards what God in Christ has called us to. Amen? And then at the near the end of the song, they're going to invite you to stand and just join for the last couple of choruses. And we're going to go out today and I'm going to challenge you to not just be a person who says, I believe. But to reveal that, show that through who you are. And that we would be becoming more of that for his glory, not our own. Father, as we consider these things, may you help us to fix our eyes on you. And to not just be hearers, but doers, that who we live, who we are, would reveal where our faith is. Father, transform us to be more like your Son, in Jesus' name. Amen.